The second reading is on page 78 of the Pew Bibles. It's Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Greetings to those that are listening to the audio on Zoom as well. Um, sorry you have no pictures, but uh, we hope you're, we're coming through loud and clear to you. I have an apology to issue as well. Um, you know that thing of giving notes in class um, was, was always a, a terrible distracting thing to do. I passed a note to Angela Palmer before the prayers, and the responsibility of the com- the communication lies on the communicator. I didn't communicate clearly with Angela. Valerie Balkek's mother has died, not Valerie Vardy, it's okay. So my apologies to those two people particularly affected, but please be praying for Valerie, uh, her mother, long-term unwell and cared for by Valerie over a long period of time, died yesterday evening at 8 o'clock yesterday. Let us pray with... um, Those two readings still in our minds. Father, we thank you for uh, that description of your word as the perfect law which gives freedom. And we pray you'd help us to look intently into it as we turn to the Bible this morning and know its blessing on our lives as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you'll have gathered, we're in our series in the Ten Commandments, and we've got to the fourth commandment today. The fourth of ten, ten commandments given by God to his people uh, after they were rescued from Egypt. And as with the other commandments, this one introduces an area, work and rest, where we will inevitably be different from the world around us if we want to go God's way. I don't know if I've told the story recently about um, the weird professor and his mind of a matter experiment. He was explaining, it's taken me hours of practice, he said, but now after all that time, I think I've got it just about right, pretty much perfect. My technique is so powerful that simply by concentrating my mind, I can get any living creature nearby to do exactly what I want. Now, his lab assistant that day was a Manchester United fan. I need say no more about Manchester United fans. He was looking on in amazement. I'll demonstrate, said the professor. And putting his finger in a nearby goldfish bowl, he shut his eyes and started mumbling quietly, think square, think square, think square. And would you believe it? 
pretty much that instant, the goldfish began swimming around the bowl in a perfect square. That's amazing, cried the Man United lab assistant. Um, Do you think I could do it? I very much doubt it, said the professor, slightly patronisingly. But I know what, I'll just pop out and um, make a cup of tea for us both and then I'll come back in and see if I can't pass on some of my wisdom to you. Well, he came back a minute or two later to an extraordinary sight. There was the lab assistant, standing with his finger in the goldfish bowl, going... (laughs) blowing bubbles with his mouth. Now, that's not a completely gratuitous joke against myself and other Manchester United fans. Um, I'm thinking about that tendency to influence or be influenced by those around us. And when it comes to work... We are, not surprisingly, even if we're retired and our working lives have changed. Don't don't buy into the lie that retirement means no work. Nobody who's retired would think that for a moment, I'm sure. Even if we're retired, in our working lives, we are influenced a great deal by the world around us. Um, After all, if you're employed in the secular workplace, that normally takes a huge amount of waking hours. And in that period of time... Most of us probably are unlikely to have many other fellow Christians around us. And therefore we easily reflect the culture in which we find ourselves and not the Christian counterculture which we should be promoting to the world around us. So are we being influenced or are we influencing others? It's worth pondering. We need to have our mind and our behaviour renewed by God's word. Now I wanted to lead us, therefore, in two different directions with the readings that we've had. First, back to the origin of the Sabbath commandments by journeying back to Genesis chapter 2. Remember the deal in Genesis, these very early chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1, it's a description of God creating the heavens and the earth in what is described as in six days. And The purview of creation is making a very simple point that he is the maker and master of it all. God had completed the heavens, everything up there, and he completed the earth, all the things down here. And from Genesis chapter 1, you move on to chapter 2 to a a description of a different day. Uh, This teaching that stands behind the fourth commandment, as we'll see. So... Look at verse 2, the last little bit of our first reading, if you have it open in front of you. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done, which is shorthand for verse, sorry, longhand for verse 11 of our second reading, if you think about it. Scan down right to the bottom of the page on the service sheet. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I want to invite you to look for the origin of the Sabbath command at the nuts and bolts of the language there and consider three verbs, three things that both Exodus and Genesis say God did. First, God finished. In Genesis 2, that idea comes twice, actually, because the words for finish and rest have the same roots. He stopped his work, and if you like, he downed his tools. 
God is still absolutely involved in his world, of course, sustaining it moment by moment. It's just the work of creation which he stops. And he stops it for a very good reason, that it can't be bettered. That refrain that comes again and again in that first chapter. God saw that it was good, even very good. So God finished. Second verb, God blessed. Um, I'm referring to that bit in verse 3 of Genesis 2. Then God blessed the seventh day, which means he declared it good, as he'd done already, and he made sure it was good, the seventh day too. You remember in chapter 1, he blessed mankind, first of all. And here, Genesis chapter 2, he blessed the seventh day for humanity. Um, One of his most prized gifts to the human race, a great blessing for our good. If we were to read the rest of chapter 2 of Genesis, there is that ravishing portrait of a parkland paradise. Um, But I suppose the real treat was the man and the woman's close, uninterrupted friendship with each other, yes, but supremely with God himself, walking and talking with him in the cool of the day, you might remember. And that was what Sabbath rest was all about originally. God's people in God's place under his rule, blessed by him. God blessed that Sabbath rest. Then a third verb, God sanctified the day. So verse 3 says he made it holy. Ditto verse 11 of Exodus 20. Which means quite simply, different. Just as a holy building like the temple, later in the Bible, was set apart for different uses, sacred assemblies, special sacrifices and so on. So God made the seventh day special. He took it out of normal circulation. It was to be different from the other six. So unlike the days in chapter 1, this one is different. There's no mention of morning and evening with the seventh day. And that's significant, surely, because this seventh day doesn't end. Now, mankind's enjoyment of that rest was shattered at the fall. But it doesn't change God's great purpose for creation. His goal for the universe, and for us, is an endless, eternal day. That's what creation culminates in. This is the climax. It's what creation was heading for all along. So no evening and morning mentioned because, in a sense, this seventh day is different. It's set apart, sanctified by God. It's outside time. It's as if the God who has broken into space and time to create then steps back from the world and rests in eternity. Well, that's the nuts and bolts uh, describing the origin of the Sabbath. But what about its outworking in the rest of the Bible? And I want to apply this teaching in mainly two ways. At greater length, for a first application, rest from our work. Rest from our work. Now, you will be aware, if you know the debates about Genesis 1 and 2, that Genesis 1 is an area where Christians disagree. Um, But I'll lay my cards on the table. I find it hard myself to read that chapter of the Bible as a chronological account. There are certainly puzzles if you do so, like how light was created on day one and the sun and the moon only on day four. 
I doubt, personally, that we're intended to take it as a chronological account of six 24-hour days. Instead, it seems to me, the writer is explaining creation order, um, the different relationships between God and the world, God and humanity, creation order, not chronological order. I assume that the days are a literary device. Genesis is saying, imagine God's activity in creation as a working week. Well, God worked, got it finished, and then he rested with the implication that we should work at our work, get it finished, and then rest from it in order to spend time with God. I don't think that interpretation means that any of Genesis 1 is fiction. It's talking about real events, God created, and God rested. He rested not because he was exhausted, for almighty God creation was effortless. He simply spoke, and creation came into being. So there's no suggestion he was tired out by what he'd done. It's almost the case that this sort of vivid language is there to make sure you and I get a vital message. God wanted to announce to all creation that after six days' work... Enough is enough. And he's so serious about this point that he chose to use himself as an example. So rest from work is how the fourth commandment takes up the teaching about the seventh day later on in the Bible. You've got it down here. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither all these other people, even animals, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested the seventh day, and so on. I wonder if that message is received, at least in principle. I mean, how we work out what it means to rest from work may be difficult and different for each one of us. But the message needs to be received. Work is a good thing. I, God did it. And the word is used of him, if you think about it in the Bible, before it's used of anyone else. God is a worker. Certainly, Genesis 1 and 2 are before the fall, which affected work for the worse. Work is a very good thing. But it's not the only thing. God rested. So there's more to life than work. And it's a simple principle of creation, and therefore the need for balance between work and rest, it seems to me, is a law written into every cell of our bodies. It's part of our biological makeup that we need to stop. And we're mad to ignore that. It's simply because of the way we're made. And therefore a day off once a week for everyone by creation is right and good it means my career is not the meaning of my life you think about it nobody's ever heard to say on their deathbed I wish I'd spent more time at the office or in the workplace work is not the meaning of life the goal of creation was Sabbath rest with God pictured in that relationship the man and the woman have with God in Eden so a weekly day off reminds us, or should do, that our relationship with God is much more significant than our work. I like the story I've told before about an accountant who was waiting on a station platform. Somebody asked him, who are you? 
And he replied, I'm a Christian, thinly disguised as an accountant. In other words, his relationship with God was what really mattered about him, not his employment. As I said, it will have different applications, this teaching philosophy. I suppose I used to work with students a lot. If I'd been speaking to students back in the day when the student life was relaxing and easy, I think it's probably changed a bit. Um, But if I was speaking to students, I might have to emphasize the first bit, six days you shall labor. But as a culture, and perhaps this is even more true with us working, some of us more from home these days, as a culture, it's the call to stop work, which we're more likely to ignore, isn't it? And if we ignore it, then Genesis and Exodus are saying it's as if our fingers are hovering over the self-destruct button. Now, another area of Christians disagreeing. Christians disagree also, um, but I don't myself think that it's actually a command to keep Sunday special. The New Testament doesn't apply this teaching, I don't think, in that specific way. It's actually a little hard to defend that view, keep Sunday special, by appealing to the Ten Commandments when you consider that the Sabbath commandment was intended to regulate behavior on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, not Sunday. So I don't think the day necessarily matters, although there might be other considerations that move us to wanting to share the same day as a day off, I agree. But we still need to remember that it's not a complete free-for-all and uh, to be disregarded. The, The packaging on this command says made in Eden, not made in Israel. It's a creation ordinance. And because its origin is in creation, I don't myself think there's an option on trying to take a full day off one day in seven, whichever day it is. As I said, it'll look different for each person, and maybe if we were talking in a room where there were lots of young mums with uh, young children under five, three kids under five, they might be sitting there thinking, well, how am I supposed to take a day off with three children under the age of five? Um, We've all got busy lives, actually, but to have a different day where at least I don't do unnecessary work... um, That's the call. You must say, well, that's going to feel like it's going to add to the pressure if you lay that burden on me. Well, I think Genesis and Exodus are saying, rest assured, it isn't adding to the pressure long term. This is what we need. We need the Sabbath principle in our lives. Forgive me a cheesy story, but there was a young man who went to the foreman of a logging crew to offer to work for him. The foreman said, okay, let's see you in action. And he took it to a huge tree which the guy chopped down very quickly, very skillfully. You could stop on Monday, the foreman said to him. So he worked on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, then he asked, well, when am I going to get paid? Just thought I ought to check. Oh, come on Friday, said the foreman, but I need to tell you that's your last day because you're falling behind. Well, the... Logger looked amazed, but the foreman explained, you were in first place for speed on Monday, but I have to tell you that by Wednesday you were in last place. And the young man protested, I'm a hard worker. He said, I arrive first, I leave last. I've been working through my breaks. 
Then the foreman asked a very revealing question. Have you been sharpening your axe? Oh, no, said the man. I've been working far too hard to have time for that. Which, I suppose, if you're a logger, is a false economy, isn't it? And you'd have to say a similar lesson, I think, applies to us generally. Not to take time out, a weekly rest is a false economy. A weekly rest will actually keep us sharp for the rest of time. It is God's good gift to us. Well, with the 9.30 lot, I, I gave them a chance to talk it through, and it emerged that there's all sorts of ifs and buts that may be in your mind that, that you want to sort of think about and just fine-tune what I'm saying. But I hope the principle is something we can begin to work with. Here's a second outworking. Not rest from work only, but rest in Christ. And I'm thinking here about the time when Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath. It's a title he used to describe himself. Which was a claim that must have left the Pharisees completely reeling, but it's absolutely typical of Jesus. Taking something treasured, and then claiming it for himself as his own. I'm greater than your greatest heroes, he might have said. Greater than Solomon. I'm greater than the temple. And then this one. You reckon the Sabbath's pretty important to you? Well, he says, it belongs to me. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It's mine. Now, the Pharisees, who he was debating with, had their own ideas about how the Sabbath was to be observed. If you remember that episode, the disciples were picking corn on a Sabbath. And I doubt when we read that story that visions of a a combine harvester going at full throttle through a field come into our mind. But to the Pharisees, the disciples were reaping and threshing. And those were working activities under their rules. And against that backdrop, Jesus says, in effect, look, I'll tell you what the Sabbath is really all about. It's appointed to me. I'm the fulfillment of this law. So if you want Sabbath, then it won't be in these rules particularly. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, you know, the way the great saying of Christ, the comfortable word finishes, I will give you rest. I can't help thinking in connection of that of Martin Luther. Um, You know the story of his life. He was a German monk from the 16th century whose conscience would give him no rest. He did not feel that uh, he could find acceptance and peace from God. So he did all sorts of things, all sorts of rituals. Uh, He even went on a pilgrimage to Rome where he viewed all the sacred relics that he possibly could. He climbed the Sancta Scala, uh, allegedly Pilate's staircase, on his knees, kissing each step on the way up for good measure. But when he got to the top, he realized that he'd never find peace that way, never find rest that way. And... That experience of peace and rest only came to him when he began to understand that righteousness is not a matter of our works, but God's gift, and that the rest had been won by Jesus, living a life we could never match, and then dying our death for us on the cross, as we'll remember 
in communion in a moment. Paying for our sins so that we don't need to ourselves. That was when he found rest. And I guess that easily we slip into that mindset. Some of us need that reminder that uh, what we need is not simply to rest from our, our weekday work or our academic work, if we're in those fields, but also from our religious works. We don't get peace with God or rest by adopting Luther's mentality of working away at things. Well, we easily think and live that way. When I fall into a pattern of sin, how do I deal with it? Well, I forget that actually if I run back to Christ and repent and find rest in him, I will find peace. No, I often think I'll, I need to redouble my Christian activities, a longer quiet time. Sign up for more church rotors when Simon nags me about that. And those might be good things to do, but I won't find rest there. Christ is the one who gives Sabbath rest. I'll never find it in my own religious works. But Jesus says he can restore the paradise that's been lost. We get a taste of it now. If we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're friends with God. And then one day we'll know the rest of being God's people in God's place, in God's presence perfectly. Not in Eden, but in heaven. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, says Hebrews 4. That's the home we're heading to. Not the perfect home in the House and Garden magazine that we set our hopes on. Not the perfect home of a, a world where we work hard to restore the fractures and tensions. I'm not saying those things aren't important to do, but we'll never actually manage to create that perfect world ourselves. The rest we long for, all of us, is that future rest provided by Christ in eternity. And if heaven has lost its magnetic pull for us, well, maybe that's because we're neglecting to enjoy a weekly foretaste of heaven in a day off work and a day for fellowship with God. So you see the point of the fourth commandment there, for it goes back to our origins. The origin of the command is there in Genesis 1 and 2, and that's not just a biblical once upon a time. We were made by God to know God and to enjoy an eternal relationship with him. Beginning now, as we come to Jesus Christ, but perfected in heaven for all eternity. And what could possibly be better than that? What could be better than enjoying an anticipation of that week by week as we keep a day special for him? Let's pray together, shall we? We pray, Heavenly Father, for uh, understanding of your word and understanding of how it should apply to our lives. And we want to stand or fall, each of us, before you alone, not judge each other because of the views we take on this commandment. But we pray you'd help us to live and please and honor and serve you in this particular area of our lives. Um, we thank you that you're a, a gracious master that gives rest, not slavery. 
And we rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name. Amen.